Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey everybody, we're doing a little bit of a special episode today, so thanks for listening in. We are going to look at a Kickstarter currently ongoing that both of us got the chance to play. And this is like the first time we're ever doing this. We have done one Kickstarter in the past, but uh, we actually had the designers on for that one. So this is the first time we're going to take a shot at it by ourselves. Yeah, and that's because I'm just a selfish person and I never want to share those prototypes with you. So, you know, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this is the first time that I had gotten my hands on one of the early review copies of a game before Mike had to ship it off to somebody else. So, yeah, we've both played the game now and we figured we'd give our thoughts on it and kind of compare it to some other games in the genre. And we should probably say what game we're talking about. That is The Seventh Citadel, which is the follow-up to the very successful Seventh Continent. And this one looks like it's going to be very successful as well. I think as of the recording, it's at 1.5 million, maybe more than that. So good job, y'all. <laughs> now, during the main show, we're going to try to keep it spoiler free. But after the outro, we're going to talk about some of our exact experiences with the game. So there'll be some spoilers in there if you want to listen to that as well. And uh, before we get into our discussion of the Seven Citadel and what we've played of it, let's thank a few of our Patreon supporters. So thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. It helps us defray the cost of putting on the podcast, buying games, going to conventions once those are happening again, upgrading our equipment. But we also appreciate everyone who joins the conversation on our Discord channel, leaves us a review on Apple or wherever you're listening to this, subscribes on the YouTube channel, all the ways you can kind of join our community. But special thanks this week to Peter O'Reilly, a co-op lover, James Baker, a co-op lover, And William Payne, a co-op MVP. So Peter, James, William, and all of our supporters, thank you so much for everything you do, helping to make the one-stop co-op shop even better. Now, wait, 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 wait a minute. You said Discord. What's up with that? Oh, uh, (laughs) well, yeah, we've we've been mentioning the Discord a little bit in some podcast episodes and uh, also on the YouTube channel. But uh, we have kind of moved away from Slack to an extent We still have some active people over there, and we'll probably pop in every once in a while. But Discord has become our official sort of uh, social media place for conversation, especially because uh, Steve, also on the podcast, has been doing an amazing job organizing it and setting up a lot of kind of organized play options. We have people playing on uh, Tabletop Simulator and then doing their voice chat through there. And yeah, it's just a really cool thing. Steve and Barrent have been doing live plays once a week, so you can come and see them play games that we'll be reviewing later and kind of watch them in action and chat in and, you know, give your thoughts on what moves they should take. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on Discord. So please check the podcast info if you want to see the link to join. We'd love to see you over there. Yeah, this is a big shift for us. But as you said, especially in this virtual world we're living in, I mean, there are two games going on Discord right now as we speak. So it's been fun to get a lot more gaming with, you know, people from the community, as well as just watching people end up playing games together. So it's it's been fun to have that voice option in there. And then even if you're not part of a game, sometimes I'll just jump in and, and join the conversation. Yeah, I've been really enjoying it too, and I'm playing a few games on TTS on there this Sunday, so should be a lot of fun. Cool. With that being said, what have you been playing lately? Oh my gosh, uh, a good a lot. That didn't even make any sense. That shows how much I've been playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Well, let me save the, the listeners here. Only talk about the good stuff, all right? 
Yeah, uh, I, I actually, yeah, it's funny you say that because I was just counting and I think I'm having three or four mediocre to negative reviews in a row lately. Uh, but that's beside the point. Uh, I'm playing some upcoming Kickstarters, Townsfolk Tussle. I think you got to play that with me uh, last weekend, Peter. I'm really enjoying that one. It's kind of a Kingdom Death Monster boss battler, but very quick and a little bit more straightforward than that one. Yeah, I had fun with that one. I hope they make a couple of changes that you're suggesting to them after our play. Uh, just some things like, you know, lose a turn mechanics, things like that. I mean, the turns are so fast that it's not game breaking, but there are certainly things that could have made the experience more enjoyable and they still have time to fix them. So for the most part, I had a, a lot of fun with that one as well. Yeah, they're not taking them out entirely, but I pointed out uh, several ones that could make you lose multiple turns in a row, and all of those have been taken out or changed. So you might lose a turn, but you should never lose like two turns in the same battle or whatever. Nice. Oh, yeah. And then uh, also, I don't think you've played any of these, Peter, but uh, David Thompson, one of my favorite uh, war game designers, he has this series called the Valiant Defense Series. Uh, Castle Itter was the first one. Pavlov's House was the second. I covered both of those. And I just got the prototype for the third one, which is called Soldiers in Postman's Uniforms, about this kind of uh, doomed uh, defensive battle at this post office in Poland, I think. And that one is great. I've been playing that on Tabletop Simulator, like maximum tension in a game. It's really cool. And then uh, besides that, uh, Marvel United, I've been playing that one. I think we're going to have a podcast on that pretty soon. I got to that uh, to play with my son. It was his birthday present, so we played that some. But yeah, and then just a bunch of stuff. I have a lot of reviews uh, coming out, so you, you'll see them. But that's that's some of the stuff I've been playing. All right. Well, I said not to mention anything mediocre, and then here you go. I've got some mediocre stuff that I've been playing lately. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll get through the mediocre stuff pretty quickly. Viticulture, one of the games I love playing with my wife. I tried to play it solo because I am going to be doing a solo podcast in a couple weeks. I know a lot of people have heard me in the past are probably shocked by that because I'm not much of a solo gamer typically, but I wanted to get in some of these ones that people have been, you know, shouting from the rooftops or some of the best of all time. So I played Viticulture to talk about on that podcast and I thought it was fine. Nothing real uh, wonderful. I like some of the parts about it, but I'll talk more about it there. Star Realms. You just gave me the new Star Realms with the expansion where you can play solo and co-op. I thought that was fine. Believe it or not, I actually like the Hero Realms version better. I know you said, you know, it's similar and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that little bit of theme that Hero Realms puts in, but I actually enjoyed the Hero Realms solo better than I like the Star Realms one. Well, to be clear, even in my reviews, I said this, I like the Hero Realms solo better too. The big difference is (laughs) if I'm recommending one for Hero Realms, you got to buy like $90 worth of content to be able to play their uh, co-op solo campaign thing. For Star Realms, you can buy that one box for like 15 bucks and you're good to go. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, the 90 bucks, that's a lot for Hero Realms. So I don't know. Maybe I just wouldn't get either of them then. The Star Realms one's fine. I just, it it's it seemed a little soulless to me. But a game I did enjoy, again, preparing for this solo podcast I'm going to have in a couple of weeks, was Assault on Doomrock. And that one's always good. It's very long for what it is. But I really enjoyed it. And there's actually a quick mode in right in the rule book, which I don't think I'd ever played before. And that definitely makes it more manageable. It takes it from three rounds down to two, half of the amount of exploration outside of it as well. So it I mean it takes a third of the game off without really losing a lot. So I had fun doing that. 
Yeah, I'd like to play that one again. And I know uh, the designer has talked about like a, a 2.0 or a new expansion or something. I definitely like the core system. So Assault on Doom Rock, definitely a good one. Yep, absolutely. And I played some Marvel United with the kids. So I think after Steve releases his episode, I'll release my thoughts on it. But they're probably not going to be as high as Steve's. I'll I'll say that, (laughs) even though you and I both ended up buying it. But uh, I think it's fine. I I bought it for a very specific reason. And for that reason, it was fine. My son enjoyed it. And I am pleased. (laughs) Even if maybe I don't enjoy it as much, it's okay. And then something I'm sad about is I was just thinking about this the other day. I haven't played Keyforge in forever. And I don't know, I got a bunch of even unopened Keyforge decks sitting around and just with school starting and everything else, that's something that's been on my mind. And another two player game that's been on my mind is Guild Ball, which is a game that's completely out of print, but I still have a bunch of stuff for it. And there's a bunch of stuff you can print online. So I don't know, that miniature itch is hitting me a little bit and Guild Ball's one I've only played once, but I really you know, have had a lot of interest in it. And I want to get that back to the table. So that, that one's been on my mind a little bit lately. All right. Well, there you go. A few games we've been playing, uh, good and maybe not so good. And again, uh, watch the recent YouTube reviews to see some not so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking uh, if this episode goes up Sunday, there'll been one, uh, one of my most negative reviews in recent history uh, will be up the day before Saturday. So I'll, I'll let you find out what that is when you go to the channel. Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Yeah, bringing it back, baby. Second review. (laughs) (laughs) Give it another look and say it's still bad. (laughs) Nice. But yes, let's uh, talk about the Seventh Citadel. And I think it's probably important to give a little bit of our impression of the Seventh Continent, the game that uses a lot of the same mechanics and is by the same creators, of course. Uh, Peter, why don't you start? Because I love your experiences with the Seventh Continent. (laughs) All right, so I've played Seventh Continent exactly once, and if you wonder why we've never reviewed it, here's why. Here, here's the full story on it. So I played it one time at Beer Mongers. Any of you Secret Cabal listeners out there will know that they have a every other week meetup, and one of my good friends is actually now part of the Secret Cabal, Don. He's been part of our game group in the past, but uh, he's actually the one that's going to join me on the solo podcast, by the way. But he's the one who, t- who was teaching the game that night, and there were four of us. And if you've ever tried to game in a bar, the lighting's not always the best. And I didn't know much about the game. And Don sat us down and he goes, okay, everybody pick a character. Let's get going. And didn't really explain a lot of the rules, which is fine. Because it really is pretty self-explanatory as you start playing. But the one thing that was missed was that there is a map on the back of the card at the beginning of the game. And so you're supposed to kind of know where you're going. And we got to a certain junction in the game where it's like, okay, do you want to go northwest, northeast, or just straight north? And apparently we were supposed to go northwest. Well, we picked northeast because we didn't know we had a map. And we got lost for another like three hours at that point. So the first three hours, we were kind of trying to get off the main island. And I was having some fun with, but, you know, had my reservations. And then for the next three hours, we just wandered aimlessly, having no idea what we were doing. And, you know, it was hard to see. So, you know, there anybody who's played the game before, there's like many numbers on cards and stuff. So it's really hard to see that in there. We're playing four players, which anybody who's played Seventh Continent knows that that is definitely not a four player game. And we played it for six straight hours. And at the end of it, we hadn't really gotten anywhere. We were just kind of spinning in circles. So it was a very negative experience with it. And even though I tried not to let that taint my opinions of the game overall, trying to look back at the mechanisms I really had a lot of negatives about the mechanisms in my mind, and I really just didn't want to get it back to the table after that. So 
you know, I had fun for the first probably hour and a half of that game. And then the next four and a half hours were absolute torture. And then everybody's saying, oh, it's like 21 hours to get through the first curse. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm never doing that. Yeah, and I should probably say, I shouldn't just assume that all of you know what Seventh Continent and Seventh Citadel are. So the sort of genre of games we're going to talk about today are like these very epic, wide open exploration games where you're putting down cards that represent locations and trying to find your way through this like sprawling mystery or adventure. And a lot of them have a mechanic of like having to eat food to survive. So survival becomes part of the game. And yeah, a Seventh Continent... I have a much more positive opinion of it than Peter, but not perfect. I only played solo. I think I might have played like co-op once or twice, but I pretty much only played solo. And I do think that's one of the best ways to play that one because you all like share the same action deck and they have kind of wonky mechanisms for how you can move away from each other. So I found that even when you played co-op, you kind of were encouraged to stay into one team anyway. And it felt a bit like solo. But the big thing is the game is just so long and it's better if you can go through it quickly and not have things take too long. Now, unlike Peter, I did see the map in the first curse. So I did have an idea of where to go. Well, I was shouting that from the rooftops after my experience. Everyone that was in, within earshot of me, I told, make sure you look at for the map because otherwise you're going to be lost. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, if you read and again, it's not your fault. You're in a pub and you're, you weren't the one with the card in the first place. But if you read, it says flip this card over for a clue and you flip the card over. And there's a map. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I will point out that in Seventh Citadel, they put the map in two places. One is a giant map where you can actually insert cards into. And the other one is in your quick uh, player reference aid. So I'm assuming I'm not the only one that didn't see the map my first playthrough. They made the map pretty clear in the uh, in this in this version of the game. Yes, yeah, so that's a very good point. But yeah, just to uh, finish up, I like Seventh Continent. I think the exploration is amazing. I think uh, it had some like really cool new mechanics there. But I did find it got very grindy, and it was such a downer when I would die in a curse, especially when I was close to winning, because there just wasn't enough new to see in getting back to the point where I had died. So sometimes I was just like, forget it, I didn't die, and I would just keep on going because I was like 95% of the way through. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, imagine playing a video game where they have no save points, and you have to go back like 20 hours <laughs> of progress to get back to where you were. I mean, it wasn't 20 hours, but you get the idea. It was just a very punishing kind of model of uh, grindiness with the difficulty and kind of the, and also the grind of getting food was not fun. But we're going to talk about several games in this genre, and a lot of them share these uh, gripes and complaints that I have. But how about uh, Seven Citadel, Peter? I know what I feel about it. I've already put a video out for the Kickstarter's launch. How did you find this little piece that they sent in the prototype? Because it's very small. It's just like a little kind of self-contained adventure in a way. I guess I would compare it to the first island of Seventh Continent, where, you know, you have enough to explore and you do some cool stuff. And I will say, I really enjoyed that intro island for Seventh Continent, and I really enjoyed this as well. The one thing I will say is I enjoyed a lot of the changes, and I think that's something we should talk about, that they made from Seventh Continent to get to Seventh Citadel. Yeah, what kind of changes are you talking about? Because the action deck reshuffling is probably the biggest one for me. Well, even beyond that, it, it has something to do with the action deck, but the fact that you get your own personal one, and not only that, but it's personalized similar to a lot of games I love. So similar to something like Marvel Champions, where you have 15 cards that are preset for your character. And then actually another game that does this is Journeys of Middle Earth. Then you have like a class that you get. 
and you have five cards from your class that you shuffle in. So you have a 20 card deck to start with, but they're made up for cards specifically for your character and for specifically that class. And I love it in those games, and I loved it here too. I love that personalization. I never felt like I was a character in Seventh Continent. I never felt like I had a personality in that game. And that personal deck, I think, has a lot to do with it. Yeah, no, totally agree with you. The difference in feel between like the fighter character who had more cards focused on combat and like I had a a sneaky character who could like pick locks and that kind of thing. And there were different checks they were better at. So I would like try to set it up so that one person would be the leader in this check and somebody else would be the leader in that check. And I guess that might have happened in Seventh Continent a little bit, but with the deck shared and you never really sure what you were going to draw from it, it really just came down to your inventory and what items you have. And I think uh, this one definitely does a better job of uh, making you feel like a unique character, which I also felt uh, improved what I imagined to be the co-op experience because I did only play the intro scenario solo. But I think I would like playing at least two player. I still don't know if I would go to three or four with this kind of game. But I think two player for this one could work really well, where like we could actually separate because we each have our own deck. and You don't have kind of the weirdness of what happens when you would leave each other in Seventh Continent. Well, not only can you separate, but I actually think there's potentially some reasons to do it because every time you move, you each have to lose a card from your deck. So if you're moving in different directions and spreading out a little bit, I think there's actually benefit to that. Now, if you find that somebody needs to come and like help later on because they're better at certain skills that would go in that area, then obviously, you know, you may have to come together or you may have to backtrack some, but I do definitely see some benefits to, hey, I'm good at these skills in this room. I'm going to go in there. Why don't you just wait for me here or move forward down the hallway while I'm doing this room? So the other change with the action deck that really struck me the most, and I'm sure you liked it too, Peter, I would imagine, is that uh, there is no more food. There is no more like survival element in that way where you have to go to these like random feeding holes and grind animals until you get enough stuff to reshuffle your deck. Now, whenever your deck runs out, you just automatically reshuffle it. Now you do lose five life points. And based on the number of players, you might have fewer life points, which again, pushes me away from wanting to play this four players because you would each have so few uh, life that you could only reshuffle your deck once barring some kind of healing effect. But I thought this was definitely improvement for me at least where uh, I could, you know, just do things and not constantly worry about where I was going to get like my next kind of life injection. And I think once you kind of get out of this intro scenario into the wider world, it'll feel much better to have a good feel for exactly how long you can continue for. Whereas in Seventh Continent, you kind of get to like where you're almost dead. And I guess it was kind of cool from a tension standpoint to barely reach the feeding place and like hope you can catch enough animals to heal yourself. But it was also frustrating when it didn't work out or when you had to do that in the exact same way every time you played. I hope that this one will have more variety without uh, that kind of grinding element in there. Yeah, so something else I liked that they had changed from the original game. So the original game, you're out in the middle of nowhere by yourself, kind of exploring, trying to solve this curse. But there wasn't a lot of interaction with other people or anything else. At least in the intro scenario so far, there's been a lot more dialogue, a lot more things to bring you into the world. The other one I felt like was kind of just exploring and I got bored with that. Whereas here, I feel like the story was a lot more narrative, at least at the very beginning, because you have these dialogues that are being interjected. Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. The Seventh Continent, to be fair, was going for kind of a fish out of water thing. Like you just suddenly wash up in this place and you have no idea how you got there so you couldn't know anything but this one definitely like right off the bat if you watch uh, the playthrough on the channel 
has like all this world building and this background. And there's still a lot of mystery, but there's also like a really interesting kind of dark fantasy world they're bringing you into, which, uh, yeah, I agree. I never really felt like that with Seventh Continent. Like I had to feel like this was a weird place and there were weird monsters here, but that's about as far as it went. Yeah. So was there anything else that stuck out to you as far as, you know, fresh or new in this one, you know, for better or for worse? Yeah, I mean, a a big thing I focused on on my review, and I wouldn't call this a spoiler because it is like all over the Kickstarter page. They're clearly not trying to hide it. Now, Peter and I didn't play this because it's not really in the intro scenario, except for like sort of at the end. But there's like this whole civilization aspect. I think uh, Kingdom Death Monster kind of, where it looks like after every like time you go out and have like a part of the adventure you'll come back and you'll be able to like build up your civilization, bring new people in, like build new buildings and make choices that'll give you upgrades and things. You'll level up on a consistent basis. And that's a total departure from Seventh Continent. And I think it seems really cool. And at least based on the literature they've sent and based on that mechanic, I get the sense that this will be more bite-sized adventures, like go out and complete this one task in like three or four hours of play, or maybe even two hours of play, and then come back and build up the civilization and then go out again, which at least for me as a player, and certainly to play this co-op should be a much, much more accessible kind of structure compared to seventh continent, where you could just like grind through 20 hours straight. And there weren't really any clear stopping points except for the ones you made yourself. And you were punished for stopping in most cases because they would force you to remove the entire map. So you'd have to like use a lot of energy to re-explore places you had already seen. So yeah, I think this one, the promise of it, we don't know for sure, but the promise of it seems like a lot of like really cool stuff on the horizon. And even the whole structure of the game seems like it might be better. Yeah, this is probably the second biggest point for me. I I really love the concept. I looked at it. There's almost like this skill tree swirly, not really a tree because it branches in every direction. It's almost a bush, I guess. I don't know, but skill bush. I love that. We did to we did to like patent that right now. Skill bush. (laughs) I mean, like it did. It were vine. It like you know creeped out in every direction. It was a big circle. So you kind of start in the middle and you could go out in any direction you wanted from there. But that was really cool to me. Now, obviously, again, we didn't play it. But what I did do is I did the after scenario stuff just to kind of see what it would look like. And there was a lot of cool things that were going on there. The mission wrap up and, you know, what you're doing, you're starting your Citadel and all this stuff. I mean, that's why it's called the Citadel. You're like building a Citadel with your own like civilization. So that kind of stuff seemed really cool. And I'm not sure about this, but I think you're even going to get cards that go in your deck. That will edit your personal deck as well. You know, flushing out a character, leveling up a character. You and I are all about that. Oh, no, no, that's definitely the case. Like, I know uh, there's reflex action cards and then, like, just advanced actions. And I'm not sure for the reflex, but I'm I'm 99% sure for the advanced actions that it said you replace a card. You're going to, like, your deck won't get bigger. And I like that kind of mechanic where it doesn't get kind of bloated. But you'll be able to build combos, especially with the, they have like these symbols on the cards. Like you can build a deck built around the fist symbol and have a ton of cool effects that will trigger with fists. I saw the potential for a lot of cool action combos, but not too many of them were possible to realize in just the intro scenario. But with more items, more like advancing of your deck, I think you could have some really cool kind of almost, you know, deck construction elements in a very minor fashion as you go through one of these campaigns. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, because you don't want the decks to get too much bigger because then you as a character would get even more powerful. It'd be like a double bonus because the longer it takes you to get through your deck, the more life you basically have. 
So, uh, yeah, I could see why they wouldn't want to give you more cards in your deck. And even the reflex one I saw, it said like, draw one more card. So I think that one, maybe you do add, and it was two half stars was the one they had in the demo copy. And it said, and draw one more card. One thing I forgot, it's a, a really interesting, it's probably the most complicated thing in the new one, but it's the chain mechanism. So I don't know that's what they're calling it, but there's a little chain next to some of your skill tests. And so the way skill tests work in this game is you draw a certain number of cards. So it'll say, draw two plus cards. That means you have to draw at least two, but you can draw as many as you want. Really, you're just exhausting yourself if you do that. And then it'll say how many successes you have to get. And successes are these little stars. And then you'll either have items in front of you or cards you play from your hand that will increase your chance of doing of getting more stars. So your goal is to get a certain number of stars typically, but there's this new mechanism, which is a chain symbol next to the number of cards you have to draw. And that says, okay, draw two plus cards. Well, in the old one, you could draw four cards and you use all of them. Well, this when there's the chain symbol next to one of your tests now, you can only use up to two. You could still draw four cards, but you have to use only two of those cards. But in the old one, it felt to me like you could draw as many cards as you wanted and it had a huge deck. So I never felt much tension or pressure there. Now, certainly... You could mess yourself up for the end of the game. Here with the 20 card deck, I feel like there's a lot more pressure because you're like, oh man, I only have three cards left. How many should I do? So that mechanism seems more interesting to me now anyway with the smaller deck. But this chain mechanism doubled down on how interesting that mechanism is to me, even though it does create a little bit of complexity when you're first playing it. All right, so we clearly like a lot of the changes. They seem to directly address some of the complaints that people like us might have had about Seventh Continent. Uh, anything in there, Peter, that really has you worried for the system or thinks like it might still frustrate you? Again, just based on a little bit we played. I think that it is still going to be a low player count game. I can't imagine playing this with three or four players. I, I think maybe three, but really I think I'd prefer this game as solo or two players. And that's another thing. Seventh Continent, did you always have to play with four characters? No, no, no. You, you could play with one there. Oh, okay. All right. Because that's definitely the case here. Yeah, I definitely think I would prefer it as a one or two player game and certainly one or two characters as well. I think if you get much more than that, as you said, you're dividing the life between the characters. I think I would be less offended by it than Seventh Continent just because of the way assisting works and things like that. And we haven't gotten into all those mechanics. And, you know, you can go to the Kickstarter page to see all that stuff. But I still don't think they've fully solved the how to make it playable by a lot of players yet. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, Like I said in my review, I think co-op is better here, but I still think solo is probably going to be my favorite way to play. Although I might control two characters because I do think the kind of splitting of efforts and uh, comboing is cool. But they, they have a mechanic where basically each turn you pick which character is active. So you can have one character do like five things in a row. And certainly in my playthrough, and I played through a few times, I would like have one character kind of be doing all the stuff for a while until uh, the situation changed. And then I'd have the other character be uh, doing most of the stuff, which was super cool for solo. It was kind of like using my resources in an intelligent way. But I have to imagine for co-op, that would be a little bit dull. But the game would certainly be way more challenging if you enforce some kind of like turn structure where you had to take one action each one at a time. So... Yeah, I think co-op will work well, and I think two-player especially should be fine, better than Seventh Continent for me, but I still think solo is going to be my preferred way to play, no doubt. Yeah, so how would you compare this to a game that we reviewed recently is actually your game of the year last year, Tainted Grail? (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, you got to put that game of the year in my face. Um, yeah, Satan and Grail was my game of the year last year. And then if you watch the Shelf Life episode that uh, addressed it, uh, it fell quickly. Because and it's actually funny, Peter. For me, I had your Seventh Continent experience in a way very late in Tainted Grail because I played uh, through three partial campaigns of Tainted Grail and I never went a certain way at the beginning. And in the playthrough like I had after I uh, had not played it for a while when I was getting ready to do my Shelf Life episode on it, I went a different way and it was a dead end. At least at that point in the campaign, there was nothing to accomplish there. And it was hours of playing for nothing. And the whole time I was grinding to get food because there's also a grind there. And <laughs> the grind for food is almost kind of uh, worse in Tainted Grail. It's more desperate in Seventh Continent. But the thing is, Tainted Grail has this combat system that I really enjoy but the grinding for food ruins it because you just do the combat so much and it becomes such drudgery that suddenly it's not as fun as it used to be. So it takes what I think is a really cool system and a really cool mechanic and kind of ruins it. So yeah, so uh, Tainted Grail, I went the wrong way. I couldn't accomplish anything. I wasted hours. I was grinding the whole time to stay alive. So it was not a great experience in the end. I I would say Tainted Grail had a way, way better world built and much, much better like characters and story than anything Seventh Continent did. It looks like Seventh Citadel might have something similar. I don't know if it'll be as strong. The story I saw in Tainted Grail was better than what I've seen of the story in the Seventh Citadel so far. So I think Tainted Grail will probably still take the uh, the cake with that. But I don't know. Uh, with, with a game as sprawling as uh, Seventh Citadel and Tainted Grail uh, will probably be, I think I prefer like Seven Citadel's mechanics. I definitely love that they got rid of any grinding for food because that wasn't fun in any of the other games I've played, except maybe one I think you're going to bring up later. And the other thing is Tainted Grail. Again, the combat system was cool, but it just kind of took too long because the game was such a big, big game anyway. So I think the fact that Seven Citadel's skill checks, I like them in Seventh Continent. I like them here. They're ultra fast. They give you some interesting choices. They're not just an automatic like die roll. I expect to, I might be totally wrong, but I expect Seven Citadel to be the game that will really win me over, whereas Seventh Continent I like with reservations, and Tainted Grail I ended up not liking, except with heavy house ruling to remove the grinding. I mean, come on, there's Necrodruids in Seventh Citadel. You gotta like that. I've never even heard of a Necrodruid before. They're Necrodruids, man. They They got skeletons and they got the plants, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, come on, they're summoning stuff left and right. Like, so you start off in this game as a slave for the Necrodruids, which I don't know what that means. And you're a gardener. I don't even know why they need gardeners. I guess they're druids. Maybe that's why. So, uh, yeah, they have slave gardeners. So I don't know. Like, the story seems pretty cool to me so far. But I agree. I like the uh, the story in Tainted Grail. I like the Arthurian legends with a little bit of a, you know, multiverse thrown in there. I do think the story is way better here than Seventh Continent, as we kind of already alluded to. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. They're going to have dialogue books just for the dialogue that's going on in the game, which makes me happy. I agree with you that I liked the skill checks in Tainted Grail at first, but I could see how I I never got to the point where I played it enough that they got frustrating to me. Uh, I guess that is a strength of Seventh Continent and this one is the skill checks are pretty straightforward. I actually think they've added enough interest here with the way they do items and the way they have cards in your hand and the chain mechanism that they're doing now and the fact that you have smaller decks. This system, which I didn't really care much about in Seventh Continent, 
like the, the choices seem much harder for me in this game. And so because of that, it seems like a much more tense system. And even though I liked all the chaining and stuff that happened in Tainted Grail, I actually think I like this system better because of its simplicity, but with all the cool things that they've added in that you can do to make it more complex. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you. Uh, I, I, I'm pledging this one, by the way, so I hope that we are right. <laughs> it's, it's pretty inexpensive right now. Well, not inexpensive, but for a giant game like this, inexpensive. Now, we'll see when the add-ons start coming in, uh, how much I actually end up spending. But for now, I'm in for whatever it is, $80. Yeah, and right now, there's only two full campaigns, right? Yeah, it, it looked like two full campaigns. But again, those are like with a whole bunch of stages that are kind of shorter things. And that even gives me hope. I, I haven't seen this for sure yet, but like, I don't know what happens when you die. Do you go back to just the beginning of that stage or do you have to repeat the entire campaign? I mean, even if the rules say repeat the entire campaign, I'll probably just repeat that stage. <laughs> and the fact that they like have that, you know, makes it a lot easier to do so. So I, I think that's probably an improvement too. Well, yeah, it's like the staging, like you said, it's like a checkpoint in a video game. You know, you've gotten this far. Everything was saved before this, so it wouldn't be that hard. Even if the main rule is start from the beginning again, it wouldn't be that hard to house rule that to just replay the one mission that you're on. Yeah, and I'm hopeful, just based on the intro we played, I'm hopeful that there will be some branching in like choices you make and things you accomplish or not. So that even if there are only two big campaigns, they have like at least two good plays in them. Because, you know, the the three, I think three curses I beat in Seventh Continent, those were all like, they were really interesting. They were cool puzzles. But once you figured out the puzzle, that was it. Like that was the puzzle. <laughs> there was certainly no reason to replay it. And that's why it was so frustrating when I would die and have to like go back through everything. Whereas like even here with this very kind of linear uh, adventure that we both played, there, there were interesting things there. There were paths I did not pursue that I like would like to see what happens down them. So I'm a little hopeful that's in the whole game, but I guess we don't know yet. Yeah. And I mean, for me, even if it is linear, I like the narrative enough. And I think there are enough choices in characters because again, especially if they start adding more characters with stretch goals and things like that, or more professions, because right now they have kind of the standard brawler, magic user, thief, and like leader champion. So, you know, with those being in there, they could come up with some more. And just the little bit I've seen, because I did play with two characters when I played through it, they do play pretty differently. So, I mean, I would be interested to see how that would change and what paths open up to you based on what characters you have in your group as well, even if it's pretty linear. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, both of us are excited. Again, uh, I'm definitely in for it. So I guess we'll have some coverage in <laughs> when is it delivering, Peter? They're saying 2022. So not for a while. Yes. <laughs> yes. Beep, 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 beep. Breaking news. Oh, what? Did he invent a time machine? I did not, but I backed it as well. Wait, really? Yep. I had pledged for it. That was the, the thing I was going to tell you the other night. And I'm like, oh, I'll just save it for the podcast. So yeah, currently I am backing it as well at the $81 level. I mean, it's the kind of game where I think because of the campaign aspects of it, that you're not going to want to share it with somebody because, you know, you're going to have your save points. And I think it would be kind of a pain to break it down and then reset it all. So because of that, I thought that might be a good one for, for each of us to own separately. 
Well, we'll see. If, if it gets up to like $200 for everything, how about we just split that and we take turns playing it? <laughs> yes, yes, that certainly might be the case. But for now, I mean, <laughs> you'll know, and I mean, Jerry will back you up on this. Like, I hated Seventh Con. I mean, it was one of my most like, ah, why do people like this game? Arr, 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 like, get off my lawn kind of a games. And I mean, for me to have turned 180 on it, just from what I've seen so far, I, like, I really like what they've done, considering the base resolution system is basically the same. But I think it's enough for me with these individual characters and how I felt like an individual character that, you know, it made the system come alive for me. Well, yeah, I'm definitely not entirely surprised because I thought you would like this one way better. That's kind of why I wanted you to try out the prototype. But I didn't think you would uh, go that far because, yeah, I mean, you you had a unbridled hatred for seventh continent in a lot of ways and and again not not unjustified a lot of the things that frustrated you frustrated me just i had seen some of the positives as well but yeah that's cool man all right well we'll we'll figure it all out we'll we we have a little while until the kickstarter ends to uh you know uh match up our purchases and and money (laughs) well but i think that's a huge recommend from us right if i mean if we're both going in on it that that'll say something for you yeah I mean, the the only thing I'll say, just kind of as we're getting close to finishing up here, is I said this in my review too. We have no idea, you know, like what we saw is great, and the promise, like what they have planned, is really ambitious and cool. But I have no idea if it'll work out. I think, uh, despite the things that Peter and I have complained about, I think they did a very good job with Seventh Continent and what I saw of the expansion. I think they uh, delivered on what they promised and kind of realized their vision. So that's certainly a good sign toward them doing it again. But I don't know. <laughs> 2022 is so far away. Who knows what yeah. the world will look like and who knows what that company will look like and who knows what the game will look like by that point. Well, but I think you're right. And I think they've heard enough. The thing that gives me the most hope is it sounds like they listen to the fans and they're making the changes that people wanted and the way they've done it has made the game more interesting for me, even from what I've played so far. So yes, it is hope at this point that we're living on, but I think it looks really good. I think they're I think they're headed in the right direction. All right, so uh, you can go check out the Seventh Citadel Kickstarter page. I'm sure we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, check out my two videos on it. Although again, uh, the playthrough has spoilers of the introductory uh, scenario, so watch that with that warning in mind. And yeah, I guess we'll be talking about this one in a long, long time. (laughs) Yes, and speaking of spoilers, hang out after the outro, and the new outro, by the way, because I had to change Slack to Discord, so look forward to that. But uh, (laughs) listen to us after the outro to see our spoilerific thoughts on 7th Citadel. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to join in our discussion, join us on Discord, where you can join us live through chats or play games with us. You can also support us at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week with another top five list. So yeah, let's uh, get into some of the specifics from the introductory scenario. First of all, Peter, I I know from talking to you on the phone, you saw a lot of the cool stuff that I missed. Like I never went through the locked door. You went in there and got cool stuff. You had weapons that made the fights way easier, whereas I was like on the edge of death every time I fought. 
Yeah, and I use the mage character too. Did you ever use that one? I use them, but not well. Like I think Energy Drain, which is one of the look like one of the most powerful cards in their deck. I uh, managed to lose in skill checks every single... And, you know, if I was smart, I could have used the actions to let you get something back from your discard pile because there are ways to mitigate that luck of a good card going into your discard, but I didn't. So, yeah, I was just kind of dumb with the mage character overall. Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun using the mage. Um, I I did not get energy drain either, and my mage got pretty hurt early because, as you said, I did something similar where I was using the mage, mage, mage. And then I was like, oh, man, I got to get through this door. Hey, wait a minute. I got the thief character. Yeah, I'm going to go through the door and uh, got in there. But some of the stuff is really cool. Your playthrough, I-, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm interested to see the difference in that because I started watching the rolling solo playthrough and he did a lot of the things that I did when I played it, although he was using one character only. So that's interesting. I didn't play it with one character. I had the two. No, I did as well. And again, I think that's what I'm going to lean toward whenever I play this in the future, because I liked kind of figuring out who is the best person for the job and then uh, comboing and stuff. And I think once you have like items and skills and things, that'll be even more interesting. Yeah, I would be curious to play it co-op. I do think I would like it, although I do think there will be downtime for some players at some points. But hopefully the missions stay short like they were here. Like that way, even if you're down and out a little bit, it won't be in, you know, for that long. And I think making the town decisions group together will be pretty cool. Speaking of uh, the town, did you uh, save anybody? Because I tried to save the lady and I had to drop her because <laughs> she was just weighing me down too much. Yeah, I did too. I dropped her. Uh, I mean, when you mentioned that I could drop her, I did. But you know what's interesting? Because I forgot about trading items between people till later. I really didn't need to drop her because I traded all my items to one person and I never even got both over the bridge kind of at the end. It never said you had to get both people there. It just said you had to defeat the thing on the other end. So you you just left one of your people behind. (laughs) I left one of my people on the other side of the bridge. So in theory, and he was the one who had saved the girl on like in the very first room. So I could have literally not dropped that person and just not included that character in any of my fighting roles because all I had to do was trade the items to the other character. So that's where assisting is a little bit interesting because you have to block a card. And I guess we hadn't really talked about that very much. So if you want to assist somebody for every card you use to help them pass the check, so that's items in front of you or cards from your hand, you have to block a card, which basically means take the top card of your deck and put it under your character card. And so your deck actually becomes smaller at that point. So when you go through it, you're going to be going through it faster and faster. Well, I just traded my items to the other person and I didn't have to block any cards. So that was a little bit of an interesting decision that they made there where you could just give all your best items to one person and have them do it instead of having to assist each other. Yeah, that that, that is something I'm slightly concerned about with the co-op, even with me saying co-op is better. I'm curious how like in a bigger scenario that's maybe longer, although it can't be too much longer, right? Like what we played was pretty close to running out our energy. And it's not like you're getting more cards, which again, lends to the idea that this will be like fairly short, like two hour adventures before you go back to base. Well, don't forget you got 30 life to start with, but they could have made that 40, 50, 60. <gasps> oh, that's right. You could have different life totals. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. So, okay. Yeah. Well, they could yeah, make right. it a lot longer if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Remove that. Uh, but yeah, I, I worry a little bit that the blocking might be too punishing sometimes. And that'll encourage you to like split up too much, which is fine. I mean, I like splitting up, but 
the idea of cooperating as well is fun and it, it would be too bad if that like didn't actually become something you wanted to do very often. Yes. So it, it'll be interesting how all that works out. But so I saw pretty much all the rooms. There was one room where there was like one of the necro druids was in a stockade and like decided to like press him and press him and press him because he's like, come on, let me out, let me out. And I was like, no way I'm letting you out of the stockade. Forget it, buddy. So I was pressing him and pressing him. He kept giving me more information. And then eventually he's like, all right, I hid something in my boot. So I went to check his boot and he totally like shocked me. Like it went unconscious. And so it was kind of this weird situation where I was like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I pressed him a little too hard there and like he uses Necrodruid powers against me. And uh, <laughs> I ended up waking up and the whole room ended up like crumbling in around me. Uh, I did end up escaping, but it was kind of a cool story moment. And I, I just, I don't know, I liked how they did that. The other room I went in, which you didn't go in, had like something in the ceiling and it's like you can barely get your hand in and you're doing this test, which is like an acrobatics test or whatever. But then if you had looked at all the items in the room, you would have realized one of them was a barrel. And one of the things you would have seen in that barrel is it helped you with that acrobatics test. So you can like picture in your mind stepping up on this barrel to like reach your hand up through the ceiling. Like it made that test easier to achieve. So I thought stuff like that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, again, that's why I wouldn't mind uh, playing through it again, although it's off to uh, Berent and Will from The Hunger Gamer. So <laughs> I will not play it again, probably ever until the actual thing delivers. And by then they might have changed the interest scenario. But yeah, lots of cool stuff there. Oh, uh, What did you do with the broken staircase and the people? Uh, so yeah, so the people, I ended up making the joke at them. Like, I forget what the joke was, but yeah, I was basically a smart ass. Uh, I can't say smart ass. But I was basically that. And uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he punched me in the face. <laughs> yeah, I, I was uh, kind of a bully and they just didn't help me at all. But then the second time I tried out just that part, I just wanted to see what would happen. Uh, there was like the opportunity to be a leader and inspire them. And they would actually help you make the jump easier, which was pretty cool if you uh, went the, the clearly the best way. <laughs> And Peter oh, so you, didn't, you didn't do my way, which he punches you in the face. You lose two, two life. And I forget what else happened, but it, none of it was good. So no. don't be the jokester. That was that's that was yeah, my don't, lesson. Don't joke in life and death situations. We saw what happened to, uh, you know, the guy. Oh, man, what's his name? Uh, in Aliens, not Hicks. The guy says game over. Game over, man. Well, yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> I can't remember the name. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I remember what the joke was now. I was like, hey, you guys haven't seen a ladder around here, have you? <laughs> that's what the joke was. See, that, that, that's trying to help. That, that's, that doesn't seem like you should have gotten punched for that. Like, maybe. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely got knocked out. <laughs> so you got shocked. You got punched. And you still had a way easier time winning than I did. Well, yes, I, I happened to get some combat cards early on in my hand. Uh, and that's something that's different, too, about this one than the other one. Like in original Seventh Continent, you'd always get a card no matter what test you did in your hand. And I found that like you always had four cards. And again, it, it wasn't as interesting for me. Whereas here, only certain times and usually it was actually when you failed, you got to take a card into your hand, which would help you mitigate later turns. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, it's definitely a good design choice overall. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so overall, I had a good time. I mean, it was a fairly short first mission, although it took me a while to get it. I mean, the rules weren't that intuitive, but they're there for you to look at. Uh, it took me a little while to figure out the chaining and, and the items because the items are different from the way they used to be in Seventh Continent as well. So that took me a little while to figure out. But, you know, once I got it, it was pretty smooth and straightforward, and it didn't take that long once I knew what I was doing. 
Yeah, I hope the rules get a little bit more development and blind playtesting and stuff in the you know several years. <laughs> I was about to say a year and a half. <laughs> I would hope so. All right, so uh, thanks for hanging out. Uh, that was a little bit of the behind-the-scenes extra stuff about the experience. But yeah, still, still good. We both liked it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, see you at the next stop, everybody, and be good, be healthy. Bye again. One, two, three, record. Ha, ha. Test, test. <laughs> Has like all this world building and this background, and there's still a lot of mystery. Like there's tons of things you don't know what the heck is uh, happening with. That was a bad sentence, but. <laughs> what were we just talking about? Because I had something to say and then I got distracted. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I want to be a necro druid. I bet you do, you grave robber. Raise my own dead plants.